0: So uh, when I was 13 years old, we moved from a small town in northern BC to a suburb of Toronto called Oakville. And uh, then when I was 18, I moved from Oakville out here to Langley to go to university, and I've been in Langley ever since. So right away, I want you to realize, like, I am a product of suburbia. I only ever pastored in suburban contexts. I have spent my entire adult life in suburbia in landscapes um, being most attuned to the rhythms of life of suburbia. But if you think about it for a few minutes, suburban Canada is built upon a couple of premises and assumptions. So, for example, when I was in high school, I worked at a restaurant in suburbia, and we were trained, when a guest came in, we were to immediately ask them, table for two? Now, I'm sure you wouldn't do that now, but that was what we were trained to do when I worked there. Just up the road from that restaurant where I worked was a golf course, a very famous golf course, and in the rule book for that golf course, it was prohibited for you to golf by yourself or as a single golfer to join a pair. You golfed in twos or you golfed in fours. That was it. There were no exceptions to this rule. And then if you think about the kind of home that is built in vast tracts of suburban land, we we christen it with this intriguing phrase, a single family dwelling. You see, suburbia is built mostly upon the premise that people will go through, enter into adult life, they will find a partner, they will get married, they will buy a condominium, they will have children, they might then buy a townhome, then they're going to get a dog or a cat, then when they get two cars, they need to find a single family home with a garage, a white picket fence, and then they're supposed to live happily ever after. (laughs) But what happens when your life doesn't fit or follow that script. In 2016, the last year for which we have national census data here in Canada, StatsCan tells us that 3.9 million households out of a total of 14 million households are comprised of one person. Four million homes almost have one person living in them. Million Canadians are single, compared to only 16.8 million Canadians who are married or live common law. I don't know what that stat suggests to you, but to me, that's higher than I would have guessed or anticipated. But you think, well, that's nationally. You know, that their numbers might be skewed. What about here for us in Willoughby, in our census tract area? 57 percent of people are single adults. We have more single adults living in our census area than we do married individuals or any other category of adult. And yet if you think about it, if you were to go around and visit the churches in Langley, who comprises most of the churches in Langley? People who are married, people who have kids, family. So here's a dirty little secret. Single adults sometimes feel completely lost in suburbia and particularly lost in the church in suburbia. Here at Jericho Ridge, we are in the midst of a teaching series in the book, uh, Old Testament book, The Song of Solomon, or sometimes known as The Song of Songs. And we're exploring the themes that this book presents to us, themes of love, themes of human sexuality, uh, what it means to be in relationship with other people, what it means to be created in the image of God. But when you step back and you read through The Song of Songs, there's three main characters in this book. There's the young man who's single for most of the book. There's the young woman who's single for most of the book. And then there's the daughters or the young women of Jerusalem who are young, single friends of the young woman. There's a lot of single people in the book, The Song of Songs. And as much as Pastor Wally preached about marriage at last weekend, this is really a book of singleness and talking about single adults. Granted, two of them are clearly in a romantic relationship that they appear to consummate maritally and sexually at some point uh, toward the end of this Old Testament book. For at least a period of time, though, they're single. And they're having conversations about what their relationship looks like as two adults trying to navigate the world. But then we have this fascinating subtext throughout The book of the Song of Songs, these daughters of Jerusalem, this cluster, this little group of young, single women who are friends, and they keep interjecting into the conversation with particularly the young woman. And sometimes they're having a conversation with each other. For example, if you turn to the Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 8, you read, the young woman says to her friends, listen, girls, make me this promise. O oh daughters, women of Jerusalem, if you find my lover, then tell him I'm just so weak with love for him. And then the single, all the single ladies say, well, why is your lover better than all others, O oh woman of rare beauty? What makes your lover so special? We, we have to promise you this. Then sometimes the daughters of Jerusalem are talking uh, either amongst themselves about the, the single woman, so sometimes they say things in chapter 6, verse 1, like, Well, where has your lover gone, O woman of rare beauty? Which way did he turn? We, we want to help you find him. Or, who is this sweeping in from the desert, leaning on her lover? And what's really interesting about the Song of Songs is it's actually quite hard to track who's speaking at any given time. Thankfully, in uh, Hebrew, which is the language that this book was written in, they, the pronouns are clear whether they're plural or not. So whenever there's plural pronouns, we know that the daughters of Jerusalem, these single women, are speaking. Uh, because the book itself doesn't follow a linear plot, which we're used to. If you read through other books of the Bible, it doesn't quite follow the conventions of other books of the Old Testament. Uh, it's part of the wisdom tradition. It's an ancient Hebrew poem it's designed to give us insight into the beauty and the power of romantic and sexual love but if this is the case then we have to ask ourselves what does this book have to say to those who are single the single adults amongst us Or is this just yet another example of the suburban church wanting to talk about the things that it wants to talk about, marriage, love, family, all that kind of stuff at the exclusion of singles? Well, in a minute, we're going to see that the song actually has several pieces of advice specifically for singles and for single adults. But the one thing that we can say that we understand clearly from the daughters of Jerusalem having a part of this conversation. It gives us two key insights into the Song of Songs. And the first insight that the daughters of Jerusalem uh, give us is that the love that these two share, the young woman and the young man, it merits praise. The the daughters of Jerusalem continuously are saying, wow, you guys really love each other. Like, really love each other. In other words, there's no... Uh, relationships are not just private affairs. Last weekend, Pastor Wally reminded us that what we do with our sexuality matters to God. And we're reminded in this conversation between the young woman and her friends that in Christian community, what you do with your sexuality, what you do with your relationships from a biblical perspective is not just a private and personal thing. It has widespread social implications. One of the commentators on the song, uh, Dennis Kinlaw, says, Biblically, we understand that when a lover gives him or herself to his beloved, as these two have done, the relationship of those two has actually changed the whole of the relational world around them. This is why traditionally in our culture, a wedding cannot be performed without witnesses. It's not a private affair. Relationships are public affairs. And so the single adults in the relationship with this, these two get actually a front row seat to the young woman's relationship with this young man. And they also have, as her friend, the authority, the ability, and the capacity to speak into that relationship and speak into her life. And what we see is they actually like what they seeing develop. They keep saying to her, you know, the love that you're developing with this person, it's a beautiful uh, and a healthy thing. It merits and is worthy of praise. The other thing that we learn from their conversation is that the guy that this young woman is chasing, they think he is hot. They are very excited about this young guy that she's in relationship with. They say things like, Who is this sweeping in from the wilderness like a cloud of smoke? Fragrant with myrrh and frankincense and every kind of spice. Oh, it's Solomon. Oh, Solomon in his carriage. And oh, 60 of the heroic men of his army are coming with him. They get very excited about all of this. And some of the images and the metaphors that they use to describe how excited they are about romantic love are very odd to us. And we would never use them to describe our relationships with each other. But they would have made perfect sense in an ancient culture because ancient cultures were not as forward and many cultures in the world today, in fact, are not as forward about speaking about sexuality and human love as we are in our 21st century North American context. So they use a lot more, Um, Obtuse or euphemistic or representative kind of language, but we still get the picture That the young man and the young woman love each other And we're going to see over the course of the next few weekends We actually get more than just a picture of their love. We get a picture of What masculinity and what femininity look like and that can be helpful for all of us out of some of these word pictures, but most importantly we also gain from these conversations some key pieces of advice from the song for the single adult. So we're going to see three of them in the song, and then we're going to look and see them echoed in the New Testament as well before wrapping up with both a word to us as a church, a word to our single adults, and then a word to uh, us, those of us who are married. So the first piece of advice for the single adult from the song, is to work at being content in your current circumstances. Work at being content in your current circumstances. See, one of the things that you want to pay attention to when you're reading any part of the Bible is how often a theme or a phrase comes up. Often that signifies for us that we should be paying attention to it. It's a core theme of that particular section. And the most often or most repeated phrase in the song is the young woman speaking to her single friends. And she's asking them to make her a promise. She says in Song of Songs 3 verse 5 and then again in 8 verse 4, promise me friends, promise me O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and the wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. Do not awaken love before it's time, before it's right. In other words, if now isn't your time to be in a relationship, work at being content in your current circumstances. If you are currently single... Your singleness may well be unintended and unwanted, and we'll come to that in a few minutes when we look in First Corinthians. You might find yourself single due to divorce, separation, death. You might have chosen the path of singleness, which has a very long and noble history in the Christian monastic tradition, but the advice that the song uh, that the woman in the song gives to her single friends is. Be content in your current circumstances. If you're always worrying about what you want or what you don't have in terms of a relationship status, that can be a recipe for frustration. Trying to force a relationship to bear the weight of romance before it's ready is a recipe for an unhealthy relationship. Asking your relationship to bear uh, weight physically of a sexual relationship before it's ready is unwise and unhealthy. And so the woman who's herself in the midst of a relationship status update says to her friends, listen, don't awaken love until the time is right. In chapter 2 verse 15, she uses a word image. The young women actually use rather a word image to convey their feelings and expressions of this. They speak about a vineyard and they speak about love being like a vineyard during the springtime and the vines are all just starting to blossom and so this is an important and critical time for the vines so that they can pollinate and so that grapes can actually grow on the vine later on into the season And sometimes what happens is that animals get in to the vineyard at that critical moment and they knock off the flowers and the pollen that's supposed to be pollinating and it falls to the ground and therefore the vineyard actually cannot bear fruit in that season. And so in chapter 2 verse 15, the young women talk about love being like a vineyard and they say little foxes can get in there. And if the foxes get into the vineyard and start messing around with stuff, It's going to wreck the vineyard. And so they say, we want you to catch those foxes and get rid of them. So they're saying the same thing as the woman is saying, that timing is everything in relationships. And you want to be attentive to the time and the season and the pace at which a relationship is moving. Students, if you're too young for a romantic relationship, don't awaken love before the time is right. If you're a single adult, be aware of the season of your life. Don't try to rush into a relationship just to fill some kind of cultural expectations of a table for two. Don't awaken love before it's time. If you do desire marriage, wait for the right person instead of acting out of fear or desperation that there may not be another fish in the sea. Work at being content in your current circumstances, is the advice that the song gives to the single adult. Second piece of advice to the single adult. Work at being genuinely happy for your friends who are experiencing romantic love. Work at being genuinely happy for your friends who are experiencing love or relationships and this can be really hard work because sometimes people who are in love like to kind of flaunt it and shove it in everyone else's face these are the people always posting about their significant other on social media or about how that when you're when you're in conversation with them like their relationship is the only thing they ever talk about when you go for coffee with them and when that happens it can be very easy To kind of begin to experience bitterness or some resentment towards that person or their partner. Because you begin to feel like you're just a third wheel. You're on the outs. But the young women of Jerusalem work really hard to not be jealous or bitter that other people have found love. They actually are genuinely joyful for this relationship. They say in chapter 1 verse 4 to the woman, how happy we are for you. O King, we praise your love even more than wine. And then in chapter 5, they say, Oh, lover, beloved, we're so happy for you. Just eat and drink. Drink deeply of your love for each other. We want you guys to be happy. Just like being content, being happy for other people who are experiencing something you may desire and want can be really hard work. So here's a word for those of you who are maybe in relationships. Could you please make it a bit easier for your single friends? Like talk about something other than your kids or your spouse. Make a genuine effort to express interest in something they are interested in, in their world, and not simply broadcast and go around talking about your own world all of the time. That'll make it easier for our single adults to be genuinely happy for their friends who are experiencing love. So that's the second piece of advice. The third piece of advice from the song is don't minimize or deny any sense of loss that you might be experiencing as a single adult. You see, at some point in the song, it appears that the young woman and the young man consummate their marriage ceremonially and sexually, and so at this point, the relationship between the daughters of Jerusalem and the young woman changes. They're not as close as they once were. The ground shifts. This young man becomes the center of this young woman's world. And they're not as close as once they were. And so there's refrains of loss in the text. In chapter 6, verse 15, the woman of Jerusalem say, I wish we could go back to the good old days. Would you return, return to us? Come back, come back. We want to see you again. We want to be able to hang out like we used to, but you're in a relationship with this guy now, and we don't see you. And as a culture, we don't actually do very well with grief and loss, by and large. We tend to deny it. We tend to minimize it. We tend to rush past anything that might make us feel uncomfortable. We self-medicate. We busy ourselves with things, with alcohol, with other addictions to distract us. But if you're a single adult and you lose a relationship that you thought was going somewhere, or if you're a single adult and other people around you Are in a relationship and you experience loss because they're distancing themselves from you. Or if you're single, not by choice, but because something happened separation, death, or divorce you just need to take time necessary to grieve that loss. Stuffing it down, pretending that's not happening, I'm not upset about that, pretending that's not healthy for your soul. It's not healthy for your relationships with other people. Don't deny a sense of loss that you might be experiencing. Those refrains of loss come up a few times in the song. So those are the pieces of advice for the single adult from the song, and some of them are maybe a little more cautionary in tone. Be content, be happy for others, learn to grieve well. But there's also some echoes of excellent parallel advice that come to us in the New Testament to the single adult. As we move into the New Testament world, one of the things to think about is uh, how many people in the New Testament are single versus how many people who are married. We look at the apostle Paul. And Paul, from what we know of him, remained as a single adult through his adult life. And so oftentimes people would write to Paul and they would ask him questions. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is responding to a a lot of questions that were written to him by the group of Christians that met in the first century city of Corinth. And they had questions for him about marriage, which he responded to. They also had questions for him and said, can you tell us a little bit more about being single, Paul? Paul. And what your experience of it has been like and what advice that you would give to those who are single in our community. And so Paul spends a lot of time in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 speaking and talking directly to single adults. In verse 7 he says this, I wish that everyone were single just as I am. And he goes on later in the book to explain the reason for that is as he as a single adult looks into married people's world, he's like, whew, Some of your lives are very complicated, and your relationships are very complicated, so I'm just happy that I'm single (laughs) because it keeps it a little cleaner for me in that world. So he says, I wish that everyone were single just as I am, yet recognize that each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Some people might have a gift that God's given them of a person in their life that they're married to. Some people might have a gift of celibacy or a gift of being single, in their life. So people have different gifts. So I say to those, verse eight, who aren't married or to widows, it might be better for you just to stay unmarried as I am, but if you can't control yourselves, you should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. See, the Christian community in Corinth is asking Paul like, should we stay single? Should we be married? Is one better than the other? Just help us understand a little bit about some of these categories, Paul. So Paul writes back to them and he says, listen, it's a good thing to be married, but it's also an incredibly good thing to be single. The question that they say, Paul, is should we marry or should we stay single? I love how Paul responds in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 26. He says, well... You know, I think it might be best to just stay in the situation where you're at. Be content. But if you want to get married, I guess that's not a sin, he says. (laughs) Think about that for a moment. Paul brings his whole discussion on marriage and sexual ethic by saying, well, I guess you could get married if you wanted to. It wouldn't really be against God's purposes for your life, perhaps. But he also says, listen, being single needs to be treated as something that is elevated in some ways a preferential status to people who are single. So let's just think about this and talk about it for just a minute. In this season of Jericho's life, in this season of life in the church in suburbia in North America, it can be incredibly difficult to be a single adult. There's families everywhere, there's pregnant people, there's people celebrating their engagements, getting married, and they want to broadcast all of this stuff. And so it can send out a subtle signal as to who's welcome and not welcome. The suburban North American church, Jericho included, has been guilty at times of orienting and bending itself around families with kids. And it can become that to the place where it can verge on idolatrous if it's placed too high in minds and hearts. We can inadvertently make other people feel marginalized. People who choose not to have kids. People who are single by choice or by life circumstances. So hear me out for just a minute. I want you to know that if you're a single, Jericho Ridge is not a place where we believe that you're not a whole person unless you have a ring on your finger and you drive a minivan. (laughs) You are loved. You are valued. Even if we don't always do the best job of communicating it. And part of this is just our culture. Our culture sends very strong messages around marriage and family, and suburban culture in particular. But we need to remind ourselves regularly that the Bible actually elevates singleness. Not as a burden to carry, but as a gift to be embraced. Paul says, I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet, each person has a special gift from God. Your your gift might be singleness. Now granted, some of you are like, can I return that gift to sender? I would like to find someone to date. I would like to find someone to marry. And that's okay if that's what God has for you. Your singleness might be a season of your life that you are experiencing. And so you need to ask God in this season what gifts that God also has to give you. Gifts of grace, gifts of patience, gifts of discernment, gifts of wisdom, gifts of whatever other gifts the Lord needs to give you in this season. Maybe your your gift of singleness is a calling on your life. Key, some elements of our culture will continuously message you and say you are not a whole person if you are a single adult. But 1 Corinthians 7.1 says, Listen, It can be good to abstain from sexual relationships and live a celibate life. Some people have been given this as a gift from the Lord. It needs to be honored, not continuously asked of them, so when are you going to find Mr. Right or Mrs.? Paul says, listen, I I wish everybody was single. And the reason that he says this is because there are actually strategic advantages to being single, just like there are advantages to being married. In Paul's case, Paul says, I look at this and I say, I have the freedom to live out a differing sense of calling as a missionary more fully as a single adult than if I were married. And so he looks around and says, I see married people having to think about the concerns of others in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians verse 32 and following. And he says, listen, I don't have to think about those things. So it it gives me an advantage to be able to operate and think about what God has invited me to do. But what we want to see here is that simply and clearly, the Bible affirms, and not only affirms, but elevates singleness and elevates a call to living in sexual purity. Our culture tells us very much the opposite. You can't possibly live a healthy, meaningful life without having sex. And that's just a lie. It's just simply not true. We're going to say more about that as we get into our discussions over the next couple of weeks. But as we move to wrap up, I want to just say a couple of words to the church and the single adult. If you break down the census data for our little neighborhood that we live in, turns out there's actually 36,000 single adults living in our geographic area. 36,000 people. If we're not a church that honors singleness, that is going to limit our capacity to reach out with the love of Jesus to 36,000 people around us. Our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. The church needs to figure out ways to honor Singles our Mennonite Brethren Confession of Faith puts it this way. Singleness is honored equally with marriage and sometimes even preferred. The church is to bless, respect, and fully include those who are single. Those who remain single may find unique opportunities to advance the kingdom of God. God calls all people single and married to live sexually pure lives. So if the church is going to honor singles, here's some thoughts for reflection and response. First, a word to those of you who are not currently single. That means you're married. (laughs) Pick one single adult in your circle of influence and figure out how you're going to bless them this week. Maybe you're going to write them an encouragement note about something you see in their life, in their character, that's admirable. Maybe you find a way to bless them financially. Maybe there's a way to bless them practically, like mow their lawn or give them a gift card for a restaurant or something. Just figure out a way. Spend time asking God, God, who around me do you want me to pay attention to, and how can I bless them this week? And then the second thing is just think creatively about healthy ways to include single adults in your rhythm of life. If you're doing something fun, you're going to go see a movie, think of a single friend who might want to join you in that. Figure out if you're on a serving team here at Jericho, if you volunteer out in the community somewhere, is there an opportunity that a single adult could serve alongside you and others? Maybe you invite people into your home for a meal. Practice hospitality. Don't let family life close in on you and suffocate you. When we had a, a single adult tenant, oftentimes we would invite her over for meals. And remember, married people, single adults are going to be polite and respect your space. So they're usually not going like to push their way in. So you have to be the initiators and think, hey, would you like to come over for dinner? For, uh, with us. You want to go out for dinner after this morning with us. Find creative ways, easy ways that those who are single can participate in life together. Now a few words for those who are currently single. One thing is just a straight up apology. Can you please forgive us as a church when we become too family centric or kid centric in our language and in our actions? cultural patterns, the pull of suburban narrative is massive and so we are going to get this wrong sometimes and when we do, just please forgive us when we use too many illustrations from our own marriages, when we're preaching you know, help remind us of the needs that you have as a single adult so that we can strengthen and nurture and grow together in Christ And if you're a single adult, one of the strongest things that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is you have gifts. And so offer, figure out a way to offer the gifts that God has given to you, to the Lord, and let him use those gifts in powerful ways. This year I'm reading through a series of biographies. And one thing that stuck out to me about some of these biographies from history and Christian history is that some of the most incredible gains for the kingdom of God have been accomplished by single adults. And that might be you. You might have something as a single adult that God's given you as a unique ministry. God might be inviting you into a time or a season of serving in a way that if you were married, it might prevent you from doing that because it would divide your focus or eat into your calendar. And so if that's you, just find a way to embrace that. Walk into it. If you're single, ask the Lord, God, what do you have for me in this season of my life? In a few moments, we're gonna move into a time of communion. And one of the ways that we're going to live this out or enact this is we are going to have our single, some of our single adults serve the rest of us communion. So I want to invite those who are serving to come and take their place at the table, And Jericho Ridge, I want you to see and celebrate that our family here as a community includes amazing single adults. And our desire is to see more and more singles who do not currently know and love Jesus come to be a part of this community of faith. So as you come forward, I want you to take a moment as you come to the communion table just to pray And thank God for people in your life who are around you who are single. Pray for them. If you're a single adult, take time as you come to the communion table to just say, God, I need your grace in this season. I need your sustaining power in my life. The table is an expression of God's grace. The bread represents the body of Christ broken that you and I can experience wholeness, single or not single. The fruit of the vine, the grape juice, represents the blood of Christ, life itself, given and poured out so that you would experience life. And at Jericho, we have an open table, meaning that if you're a part of God's family, if Jesus is Lord of your life, then married or single, all are invited. So I'm going to pray, and then Jared and Ruth Ellen and the team are going to come and lead us in three songs of response. And so you'll spend time just in personal preparation, and then whenever you're ready, you can make your way over to the table at the left or at the right and take the bread and the cup back to your seat and partake as an act of worship and thanksgiving to God. Let's pray together. God, I want to say thank you that you have gifted Jericho Ridge as a church with people who are single. I want to pray a blessing on those who are single. May peace be on you in the name of the King of life. The peace of Christ is above all peace. It transcends cultural peace or relational expression. I pray the Lord's blessing over you. May God the Father be the guardian of your heart. May he bring you his peace. I ask that no fear or anything impure would enter your heart. May Christ be a close companion and chosen friend. May loneliness be banished. May the Spirit bring lightness and laughter and be the comforter of tears. And may we as your church honor, love, and respect you. And may God use you in ways that exceed anything that any of us could ask, or think, or imagine. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus.